0: Good morning and welcome. Come on in. Let's all grab a seat.
1: We're going to get started on our worship service this morning. Excited to open God's word together, to sing uh, worship songs to him and to one another together this morning. I hope you are as well. We're going to start our service with singing, Oh, How Good It Is, and then we'll go into Come Thou Fount. So if you would, let's all stand together and we'll sing, Oh, How Good It Is.
2: good The mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. And here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope. Grace, how great a debtor, daily unconstrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. I'm prone to wonder, Lord. I feel it, I'm prone to thee. Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Oh, that day when freed from sinning I shall see thy lovely face Clothed then in blood-washed linen How I'll sing thy sovereign grace And come, my Lord, no longer tarry Take my rest.
3: Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Father, we stand before you as people united with you because of you. You planned our relationship with you before we were born. You sent God the Son, the Lord Jesus, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves in his perfect life and in his substitutionary death. You sought us when we were not seeking you. You sent God the Holy Spirit to move on our hearts and move them toward you. So we've come to praise you for these and a myriad other graces because we believe that every good and perfect gift comes from you. But Father, we so often love the gifts more than the giver. We've come today to express our love and gratitude, yes, for what you have done, but also for who you are. You are worthy of our praise At the first moment of our creation, before you've done anything else. And over time, we see you in all that you have done for us. And yes, we praise you for your works, but also for your holy character. We pray then that our worship today will be focused, focused on you and who you are in addition to all that you have done. And we ask that you will accept our praise, the overflow of thankful hearts and renewed hearts. We pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you. Please be seated.
4: I would like to say welcome once again. We're glad that you could all join us this morning to worship the Lord together. And I'd especially like to welcome any of you this morning who are our guests here at CBC. Thank you for being with us today. And I want to invite you to stop by our welcome desk outside these doors in the lobby and let them know today that you're our guest. We'd love to give you a a gift, a token of our appreciation for you being here with us today. And we want to make it as easy as possible for you to learn about CBC. In addition to stopping by the welcome desk, asking any questions that you have there, you can, if you'd like to know more about a specific ministry or anything that I mention up here in announcements this morning, you can text the the word CBC Connect. the number nine seven zero 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 like you see on the screen there and you'll get a link back to our shortcuts page our connection card can be accessed there and you can fill that out let us know what questions you have anything specific there are check boxes just let us know what you'd like to know more about and we'll get back to you uh, very quickly and as well there are some shortcut links to some of the things that i'll mention there this morning thank you for being with us today I want to take a moment now and uh, remind us as we do each week that uh, the Lord, all that we have, the Lord has blessed us with. And uh, this is the part of the service where we acknowledge that all that we have belongs to the Lord. And we as a church have purposed to set aside a portion of all that he's given us to put toward the work of the ministry here at CBC. And uh, those of you I spoke to earlier as our guests, I want you to know that we didn't invite you here to ask you for money. This is not uh, the the shakedown, as Pastor Ken has called it. Uh, we, we are just doing something that we do as members here every week. So if you're our guest here today, uh, don't feel any obligation to give as the basket passes by. Uh, but for those of us who've joined together in ministry, uh, thank you for your faithfulness. And uh, as the men come forward, then we'll collect our morning offering. And I'll remind you as well as they do that, that you can give online at cbctrenton.com or in our church center app as well. So the men will begin collecting the offering now and as they do that i'm going to go through several announcements and uh, there is a lot this morning so pay attention several things you need to sign up for and uh, but i'm still not going to mention everything if you'd like to see our full calendar of events you can find that at our website cbctrenton.com all right so things coming up that you need to be aware of and things you need to sign up for first of all this morning in our second hour uh, as we started last week we have our newcomers orientation this is a four-week class For anyone who'd like to know more about CBC, attending this class doesn't obligate you to join the church or anything like that. It's informational and it's very helpful. If you're new to CBC, I recommend that you take it. Even if you missed last week, it's okay. Uh, You want to go into uh, the class this week. It's gonna be meeting outside of these doors behind you the hall in adult classroom two that's our newcomers orientation in our second hour we also have two other classes second hour this morning in adult classroom three our crossroads group that's our young adults college age uh, students will be meeting for their class a, a three-week class with uh, bob fight and then as well we have in our auditorium here a class the rest of us can attend a short series uh, by dr combs called the old testament law and the New Testament Christians. So I encourage you to uh, take advantage of one of those classes in our second hour. Reminder for our women that we have an event coming up for you this Saturday at 9.30 in the morning, kayaking, a fun time. Uh, the ladies have stories every year coming back from this, so I encourage you sign up because spots are limited. So do go to our website today and sign up for that if you haven't already. And then coming up in sep- on September 10th and 11th, we have our 2021 Marriage Retreat. It's going to be at Gull Lake Christian Retreat Center, and uh, the price for registration includes dinner Friday night, breakfast and lunch the next day, as well as all of the sessions. We'll have biblical counselor Dave Dunham there with us, and then as well, after the sessions on Saturday, we have access to all of the beautiful facilities at Gull Lake. So I encourage all of our couples, check that out, and uh, plan to attend that if you haven't registered already. Our Adult Education Midweek program begins on September 22nd, Community Institute. And we're going to have three classes this semester. Uh, we have Master Plan for Life taught by Pastor Ken, the Gospel of John, a two-semester class begins by Dr. Combs, and then as well, Eschatology, the Doctrine of Last Things, and uh, that will be by Dr. Mark Snowberger. Those classes are open for enrollment on our website. Just click the banner. It looks like what you see up there and uh, join one of those classes so that we make sure we have notebooks and resources for you. Uh, We also have a children's program beginning on September 22nd in our midweek program. That's the Pioneer Clubs, as you see up there. And uh, Pioneer Clubs is a program for students from pre-K all the way up through fifth grade. And it's a great time for the kids Uh, They build great relationships that last on up into high school. You could walk into our high school department second hour this morning, and you'll see kids that went to Pioneer Club together. And so parents, I encourage get your kids involved in this. Registration is open for that on our website as well. One more thing for you to enroll in, community groups. We have community groups open enrollment. So we go for about two years with current groups, and then we reshuffle them to help us be building relationships with uh, close relationships with folks in our church. And so we're reforming those now. So whether you've participated in the past or whether this is your first time, if you'd like to be involved in community groups with this reordering of them, do go to our website, click the registration link there and let us know. And uh, you have the opportunity as well. Some folks have asked about hosting, if you'd like to host a community group. As you register, there's a checkbox. Just check the box that says you're interested in hosting. We'll get back to you and tell you more about what that entails. And we have several things uh, in addition to the kayaking coming up for our women in the fall. I want you to be aware of, first of all, our women's ministry has a program for moms called Entrusted with a Child's Heart. And this is a program for moms of all ages with kids of all ages. So even if you're a grandma and you want to attend to this. Uh, Even if you don't have a child of your own in your home right now, but you want to uh, help with the children of the church and you want to be doing so on biblical principle, this is a class you could take. Uh, It meets every Friday from 9 to 11. It'll start September 24th, and we've got all the details and open registration on our website, so check that out. And then as well, starting just after that, our women's program Heart to Heart will be resuming at the end of September and uh, just watch our website for details about that the group is open that you can join right now and make sure you're on its mailing list and get all of the details and then one last item that we'd like you to register for to let us know you'd be attending is our annual anniversary celebration dinner that's going to be on september 26th and we're going to spend time praising the lord for what he's done like we do every year over the last year but this is a special one it's 20 years now that's uh, ago that CBC was founded and we're going to be celebrating that and we have registration for that to make sure we've got enough food and we've got a a souvenir as well for you so do register and let us know you'll be coming for that and any of these things if you'd like to uh, sign up or get more information remember just text the word CBC Connect to the number 97000 and uh, we'll get you a link back to that. Our scripture reading for this morning comes from Galatians chapter 3 And I'll begin reading there in verse 10. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now let's stand together and continue praising the Lord with our song.
2: Shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus'
1: face. Let's think about that for a minute.
2: to The. Yeah.
1: We're sing one verse of speak O Lord we've seen verse one verse two last week and the week prior we'll sing verse three speak O Lord and renew our minds today let's sing together
2: Speak, O Lord, and ring come to you. Okay, verse one. Receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. that the likeness sing today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill
3: Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, and these brothers have come up front, they're going to make their way to the back, they have Bibles in hand, so as they do that, if you need a Bible, just get their attention and they'll give one of those to you, it's yours to keep, bring it back every Lord's Day as we look at God's Word together, and it's marked for you at the appropriate page today, Romans chapter 4. Now, today is the third in a five message mini series on the gospel. It's a series derived primarily from the book of Romans. Just five messages on the central tenets of the Gospel from Romans. Then on September the nineteenth, we'll begin a series through the book of Acts. We're going to be treated to Dr. Combs preaching the final and two installments of these of this series the next two Sundays. So be sure to be here for those, as I plan to be. I've asked him to do that because he's done a great deal of work over the years on the final two subjects of the series, and also because I have some projects I need to finish, so it's a good time for a break. And that's a break for you as well because it's good to hear other voices from time to time. Dr. Samuel Storms wrote about the life and conversion of the 16th century reformer, Martin Luther, not to be confused with Martin Luther King, as some folks sometimes do. And Storm said this about Luther. At the age of 18, he entered university and received his Bachelor of Arts in the year 1502 as Master of Arts in 1505. Following his father's wishes, he prepared for a career in law. But shortly thereafter, he was caught in a violent thunderstorm He was so frightened that he fell to the ground and he cried out, Help, beloved Saint Anna, I will become a monk. Now Anna was the patron saint of minors, and that was his father's profession. And he made good on his vow. He immediately joined the monastery, much to his father's dismay. He was ordained to the priesthood in 1507, at which time he performed as a priest his first mass. Upon being instructed by his teachers that a priest actually holds, quote, his God in his hands and offers him to others, Luther doubted his worthiness to perform such a task. He trembled at the altar and he had to be assisted in completing the ceremony. During the winter of 1510, 1511, Luther went to Rome. And according to the testimony of his son, Paul, who claims to have heard this from his father years later, it was during his visit to Rome that Luther ascended on bended knees the 28 steps of the famous Scala Sanctu. These are allegedly the steps taken from the judgment hall in Jerusalem where Jesus was tried. Luther ascended, kissing the places where Christ's blood was said to have fallen, and in order to secure for himself himself, the indulgence that had been attached to this performance going back to the days of Pope Leo IV in the year 850. But suddenly though, struck by the futility of what he was doing, he arose, and he returned to Germany in the monastery. He said, Luther did, I was a good monk, and I kept my rule so strictly that I venture to say that if ever a monk could get to heaven by monkery, I would have gotten there. All my companions in the monastery who knew me would bear this out. For if I had gone much longer, I would have martyred myself to death, what with vigils, prayers, readings, and other works. For I hoped that I might find peace of conscience with fasts, prayers, vigils, with which I miserably afflicted my body. But the more I sweated it out like this, the less peace and tranquility I knew, the more holy, the more uncertain I became. After vigils, feasts, prayers, and other exercises of the toughest kind, with which as a monk I afflicted myself almost to death, yet the doubt was left in my mind, and I thought, who knows whether these things are pleasing to God. And his conversion came in 1516, 1517, about which he wrote this, Though I lived as a monk without reproach, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my works. I did not love, no, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners, and secretly I was angry with God. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words of Romans Chapter 1 and verse 17, namely, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. This morning, we're going to see how it is that every one of us, can cease from striving, as Luther did, to be accepted by God. And instead, we can rest in the work that Jesus Christ has done for us. So let's bow now and ask the Lord to help us as we do that. Father, thank you for the truth that we've already heard in these words of your servant, Martin Luther, from centuries before, who was so impacted by the gospel that that impact reverberated throughout Europe and has affected us to this very day. We thank you for the recovery of the truth of the gospel and now for the opportunity over these few weeks to hone in on the beauty of its message. Help us today to see what you have done on our behalf. And Lord, as a result of that, may we give ourselves to you in gratitude. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now last week we saw in chapters 1 through 3 of Romans a relentless prosecution that's made against all humanity, whether people who have behaved immorally or even morally or even religiously. Indeed, we saw last week all people, all of us, are separated from God at the moment of conception and we're in need of a way to have a relationship with Him. So how does that happen? Well, each week we provide an outline for you, for the message. You should have received that when you came into the auditorium. And I say, first of all, in that outline, we are justified by faith. Verse 1 of Romans chapter 4 says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? Now, why does the passage single out Abraham? Why is it important to know what Abraham discovered? And what is this matter about which verse 1 speaks? Well, for the first question, why is it focused on Abraham? It's in order to show what I say next in the outline. Namely, justification is by faith for all people. It is the case that it's by faith for everyone. So why Abraham? Because Abraham is the father of the Jewish people and he was revered by them. His life and his character were held up as models of God's ways with his people and of a true walk with the Lord. In fact, some Jewish uh, writings said things like this, quote, Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Another said, Abraham did not sin against God. Another, no one has been found like Abraham, even in glory. Abraham was held up particularly as a model of obedience to God, and it was even said that he had obeyed the law perfectly before even the law had been given. One of many indications of the prominence of Abraham in God's plan is the fact that The genealogy of Jesus, the birth record of Jesus and his ancestors, begins with Abraham. The very first verse of your New Testament says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of Abraham. That is, Jesus was born through the line of Abraham according to the flesh. That is, physically, according to chapter 4 and verse 1 of Romans. And all the Jews trace their ancestry to Abraham. So if one is going to make a case like the Apostle Paul is doing in the book of Romans for how people are properly related to God, then he's going to have to show how Abraham fits into that. So, why does it mention Abraham in verse 1? Because he's Abraham. (laughs) But then verse 1 asks, What Abraham discovered, it says, in this matter. In what matter?" Well, that goes back to the end of chapter 3 that we'll see in just a bit, and it brings us to the next point in the outline, that we are justified by faith, and it is so for all people, going all the way back even to Abraham, and it is so for God's praise. It's so for all people, and it's for God's praise. Verse 2 says, if in fact abraham was justified by works he had something to boast about but not before god now that verse number two is connected to verse one by the very first word of verse two which is not if but rather it's the word for or because it's there in greek it's not translated in the new international version so verses one and two should be read this way verse one what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? Because if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. This matter, then, is the boasting mentioned in verse 2, which is exactly what was being discussed at the end of chapter 3. If you'll take a look just a few verses above at the end of chapter 3 verse 27 where then is boasting it is excluded because of what law the law that requires works no because of the law that requires faith for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law this is saying that If God will not countenance anyone boasting before Him, and He will not, then it excludes being justified by what we do. Because if it's based on what we do, if it's based on our good works, then we would indeed be able to boast. But if God will not allow boasting, then our standing before Him has to come another way, a way that does not allow boasting, a way that does not involve our work, but rather involves faith. In God's work. Now this matter of barring anyone from standing before the Lord and saying in effect, look at me God. Look what I did. It's something that's addressed a number of ways in scripture. Through the prophet Isaiah. God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. Through the psalmist. I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. Now get this, if I were hungry, which of course is impossible for God, but if I were, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. So I'm gonna give no one the satisfaction of saying that I am somehow in their debt through the prophet Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord. That very passage from Jeremiah chapter 9 is quoted in your New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So God's purpose in all things is that He receive the glory, that He receive the praise. And His plan for our salvation is devised precisely so that no one can boast before Him. So famously, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, it is by grace you have been saved, not by works. Now why? Here's the purpose here's why it's set up that way so that no one can boast now the outline and verse 2 both mention the word justified we'll see it again in verse number 5 and it was also mentioned at the end of chapter 3 in verse 28 and before that in chapter 3 in verse 24 so what does justified mean Well, I mentioned last week an illustration of what sin is from the series Unlocking the the Bible Story. And here is what I think is a helpful illustration of what the Bible means when it talks about justification or being justified. It says this. There are many who believe that to be justified means to be made righteous. That is, God takes a bad person and makes them good. He changes what you are. So, they say, it's like a sick person who receives an injection, and the medicine injected into them begins to flow into their bloodstream and into their body to make chemical changes that will move them in the direction of health. So it is, they say, a change in our nature. It's a work, it's a work by which God makes the sick person well, by which he makes the unrighteous become righteous. And then if we ask how it is that God makes someone become righteous, the answer is that God forgives your past sins and He gives you a righteousness that's like giving you a spotless robe to sort of start over. And it's your job to preserve that spotless robe and to keep it clean. And how do you keep it clean? By living according to God's rules. And what if you fail to live according to God's rules? Well, that's where confession and penance come in, whether in the Roman Catholic variety or that which is done by many Protestants in the so-called altar call. So the Christian life, according to this approach, is for you to preserve and grow in the righteousness that Christ has given you so that you can reach the end of life as a truly righteous or justified person. So the big question then is this, have you preserved the righteousness of given to you when you get to the end of your life. Now does anybody in this room think that you could answer yes to that? Especially given what we saw last week about chapters one through three and what it says about the sinful condition of all of us? If our salvation depends on us preserving righteousness, then the best of us could only be agnostic about our salvation. We can only say i don't really know we might say we hope in the mercy of god that we're going to enter heaven but none of us can ever be sure that we've preserved that righteousness if i think about the best day i lived this week the fact is i could have lived better and the same is true for you and that says nothing about our worst days if justification is the way that god makes me righteous then yeah, I can look at my life and I can say, sure, in some ways I've made a beginning of following God's rules, but I'm nowhere close to fulfilling the law of God. And so I find myself in doubt, very reasonable doubt, I might add. And this is why Martin Luther was such a tormented soul. But as he began studying the book of Romans, he found that much to his surprise and his delight, the word justification in the New Testament does not mean to be made righteous, but rather to be declared righteous. Now, what difference does that make, made righteous versus declared righteous? Well, the Unlocking the Bible book goes on to use an illustration from baseball and and an umpire. I'm going to localize it to a tiger game. So consider, picture a full house at Comerica. The tigers are on the field. The visiting team's up to bat. The pitcher's on the mound, and the umpire is positioned behind the plate to call balls and strikes. The umpire's job, as we know, is to call them as they are, and if he fails to do that, then he's going to have, as the late Ernie Harwell used to say, 40,000 umpires who paid to get in who will be very angry with him. And now suppose the pitcher's having real trouble. In fact, he's thrown 10 balls in a row, and the is not happy about it, so the umpire calls timeout. He strolls up to the mound. He tells the pitcher he needs some help, and he, the umpire, is going to show him how to improve. In fact, he says, let's start now, and he begins showing him what he's doing wrong and how to do it better. Now, we all know that's not the umpire's job to improve the pitcher's game. This is someone whose job it is, there is a, a person on the staff, whose job it is to do that. It's called the pitching coach, but that's not the umpire. The umpire calls what he sees, ball or strike. Now to have the the umpire making the pitcher better then is to hopelessly confuse two very different things. Justification has nothing to do with making us righteous. It has everything to do with the umpire declaring what is righteous and what is not it's the role of the holy spirit in something else what we call not justification but sanctification that helps us as it were improve our game to help us live the christian life in fact the next two weeks dr combs is going to talk about that very thing but in justification god acts not as the pitching coach but as the umpire he observes what we're throwing That is how we're living, and he makes one of two calls, justified or condemned, ball or strike. Now in Romans chapters 3 and 4 and 5, when it talks about being justified, it's not in a baseball context, but rather in a courtroom context. It's legal terminology in which God, instead of the umpire, He's the judge who declares us righteous or unrighteous. We saw last week that every single person who has ever lived has been declared unrighteous by God the judge. Chapter 3 and verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. So, We find ourselves in desperate need to be declared righteous by God, but we're not righteous. (laughs) So how does it happen? How do I get this declaration from God, the perfectly holy judge, that I, the completely guilty sinner, am righteous? Verse 3. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now notice that the second sentence in verse 3 is in quotation marks. And that's because it's quoting the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, written about 1,600 years before this book of Romans, and it's describing what happened with Abraham who lived about 2,000 years before Romans. At that time, 2,000 years earlier, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, that's a quote from the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6. And the context there is that God had made promises to Abraham that Abraham believes. And because Abraham believes God, God credits righteousness to Abraham, righteousness that Abraham doesn't actually have. So it's not because Abraham is perfectly righteous, he's not nor has anyone else been but it's because god counts belief believing as righteousness you remain a sinner but god looks at you as righteous declares you righteous justifies you when you verse 3 says believe now many of you will remember what i have said a number of times over the years that when you see the words believe or belief in the Bible, you should think faith. Or when you see faith, you should think believe, because they're the same Greek word. So when it says Abraham believed in verse 3, it's saying Abraham placed his faith in God. And this judicial now verdict from God the judge, for which one had to wait until the last judgment according to Jewish theology, and in fact, according to most other belief systems, including many that go under the banner of Christian, now instead that judgment is rendered the moment a person believes. Not when we die, but when we believe. Now, in this life, at the moment that you truly believe in Jesus Christ's person and work, So that means that your being right before God is not based on what you do in the future, right? Because he declares it now. He doesn't wait until the future has has happened. It's not based on whether you keep your robe perfectly white. Or to put it another way, we are justified by faith, believing, and I say in the outline, we are justified by faith alone by faith alone, belief. And this is what God does. And there's work that follows that Dr. Combs will talk about over the next few weeks that Romans tells us about, but that work is not your justification. And so it's by, it comes by faith and it comes by faith accompanied by nothing else, by faith alone. In 1994, a document was published called Evangelicals and Catholics Together, and it was signed by some prominent American evangelicals and Catholics. The evangelicals included Charles Colson, the late Bill Bright of what was then called Campus Crusade for Christ, Pat Robertson, and the really great theologian, but really great disappointment in this instance, the late J.I. Packer. And it was also signed by some leading Roman Catholics who most of us have not heard of. But it contained this statement near the beginning. Quote, we affirm together that we are justified by grace through faith because of Christ. And that statement, right near the beginning of this document between evangelicals and Roman Catholics, took some people aback. We affirm together we are justified by grace through faith Because of Christ. And that's because many did not know that conscientious Roman Catholics could affirm that we're justified through faith with no mention of works. But therein lies the rub, friends. Because we sometimes inadvertently misrepresent Roman Catholic teaching. We say something like, they believe you're justified by works, not by faith. But you see, Roman Catholicism has always taught that our justification involves faith. So it's not correct to say they exclude the need to believe. Rather, it's that Roman Catholicism also teaches that our salvation, our justification, to be more exact, is based on our works as well. That's why Martin Luther and other reformers insisted on saying not merely that we're justified by faith, as the Evangelicals and Catholics Together document did, but rather we are justified by faith alone. The Latin word for alone is sola. And the watchwords of the Protestant Reformation were, some of you know, sola gratia, sola fide, and solus Christus, and soli Deo Gloria, and sola Scriptura grace alone, and faith alone, and Christ alone, and God's glory alone, and Scripture alone. We are justified by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone to the glory of God alone on the authority of the Scriptures alone. It's not an exaggeration then to say that the Reformation was about one very important word alone. So it's not enough to say we affirm then that we together agree that we are saved by grace through faith because of Christ. Rather, it's by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone. We are justified by faith alone because, I say in the outline, it cannot come by our work. Verse 4, now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. And remember, God will not allow himself to be obligated to anyone. He can never be in anyone's debt. But when an employee earns their wage, the employer is not doing the employee a favor when he does a direct deposit or hands him a check on payday, because he's obligated to pay. But God is not obligated to pay. He makes the deposit into our account because of his grace. Unearned, unmerited favor from God. And since it can only be by grace, it can only come by faith. Let me say that again. Since it can only be by grace, it can only come by faith. Take a look a few verses down in chapter 4 at verse 16. Verse 16 says, The promise comes by faith, but here's why. So that it may be by grace. In other words, if it comes some other way other than by believing, then it's not going to be unmerited, unearned favor, grace from God. The only way that anyone can come to salvation and receive justification is by faith, by believing. Otherwise, it would not be grace, and God only operates on the basis of grace, not obligation. So then, what works are excluded from all of this as being the basis of our justification? Well, it's all of them. Every last one. Anything one does, anything one exerts energy to carry out, whether it's living a moral life, which of course one should do, or whether it's getting baptized, which of course one should do, or if it's joining a a Bible teaching church, which of course we should do, or if it's giving faithfully to the Lord's work, which of course we should do, or being a good parent or a good spouse or a good kid, all of which of course are things we should do, none of these nor anything else we do is going to result in the righteousness that we need before a holy God. None of them. In fact, notice that in verse 2, if you look back at verse 2, it says this, because if in fact Abraham was justified by works, you see that? If Abraham was justified by works, it says that rather than because if in fact Abraham was justified by works of the law, It just says if he's justified by works. Back in chapter 3 and verse 28, it does say a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. But now in chapter 4, it's simply works. Not just works of the law, works of any kind that are excluded. And remember this. Abraham lived over 400 years before the law that God gave to Moses was ever made available. So his justification could not have come by the law that God gave to Moses centuries later. So friends, in the Bible there are only two categories. There's what we do and what we believe. There's works and there's faith. And they should not be confused. I'm sometimes asked, but isn't believing something you do? <laughs> so don't I need to make sure I believe just right? In the way we think about it, we sometimes make faith believing to be a work. And then we place our hope in our belief rather than in the one in whom we believed. So one has said it this way, our belief in Christ's work is like the act of stepping onto an airplane if you're nervous about getting on an airplane, you might have uncertainties. We don't understand how it all works, but we trust the airplane with our very lives. And just as it's the power of the airplane, not the power of my faith that delivers me to my destination, so the power of our salvation lies in the strength of our God, not the strength of our faith. As Charles Spurgeon said, the power to deliver us is not in the faith but in the God in whom faith relies. Just as the airplane carries us, so Jesus carries us. And even the faith, the ability to believe God, is actually a gift from him. He won't even give us that much credit. (laughs) I not only can't give him my resume of all my accomplishments, even when I say I believed, That believing is a gift from God. Again, Ephesians 2, 8. It is by grace you have been saved, through faith. But this, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. Our justification cannot come by our work. Rather, I say in the outline, it can only come by God's work. Verse 5, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith, that is their believing, just like Abraham in verse 3, their faith is credited as righteousness. Now that word credit in verse 3 and now again in verse 5 is an accounting term. And the idea is that God credits your personal account before Him with complete righteousness. Righteousness. God credits, God makes a deposit into your account because you got nothing to contribute. Martin Luther called this alien righteousness because it comes from outside of you. It's alien to you. It's not something you have, but something that's given to you. So where does this righteousness come from? Is this God just deciding, hey, we'll let bygones be bygones? And so arbitrarily then declaring us righteous? No, it's him crediting to us a very real righteousness that someone achieved for us. And that someone else is Jesus Christ. God became man and lived the perfectly righteous life that we were supposed to live, but no human being other than Jesus ever has jesus what the bible calls the last adam succeeded where the first adam who represented us failed and it's his righteousness that's credited that's counted it's imputed to us and so the apostle paul who wrote the book of romans he also wrote philippians he said this i am not seeking to have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. We are justified by faith, and by faith alone, and lastly, we are justified with full forgiveness. You see, the second most prominent figure in Jewish history behind Abraham was undoubtedly King David. And we're going to see in just a moment verses 6 through 8 speak of David. I mentioned that Abraham is singled out as the beginning of the physical lineage that produced Jesus. But in that same passage that begins your New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, it mentions David 2. Here's what it says, the very first verse of the New Testament. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham mentions David first because David came after Abraham, so it's going in reverse order. In fact, after Matthew lists the ancestors of Jesus, he highlights again Abraham and David as the most important, a little bit further down in Matthew chapter 1. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah having shown that we're justified by faith alone, using Abraham as the chief illustration, now David is the illustration. And we see that for him as well, God counted righteousness apart from what he did, and this is going to close the case for Paul. Verse 6. David says it's the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Now when it says in verse 7, blessed is the one whose sins are covered, that word covered is the word for atonement. Blessed is the one whose sins are atoned for. Now, Many of you know that every year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would sprinkle the blood of an animal sacrifice on what's called the mercy seat in the holy of holies in the tabernacle, and God's anger would be appeased towards sin for another year because the sin was covered, atoned. Now notice that verses 7 and 8 are in quotation marks, and that's because it's David saying this in the first part of your Bible that blessedness comes when sins are covered. There must be a sacrifice that covers the sin. And this quote in verses 7 and 8 is from Psalm number 32. After David has committed adultery and murder. David, the adulterer and murderer, says there is a state of blessedness for adulterers and murderers. And God has made the sacrifice in the person of Christ for it. I can't make my own way. You cannot make your own way. God has provided the way. And When verse 8 says the Lord will never count sin against us, that word count is the same as credit back in verse 3 and also in verse 6, or excuse me, verse 5. You see, in order for the righteousness of Christ to be credited to our account, the sin that already was on our ledger has to be removed. And God's a great accountant. And he couldn't to have the books balanced. He doesn't just erase the sin. He had to go somewhere. It had to go somewhere. It had to be dealt with somehow. In David's day, it was, dealt, it was dealt with by sprinkling blood on the mercy seat. But that couldn't finally and fully deal with sin. So our sin was one day rolled on Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin. And on the cross, it was fully and finally dealt with. So the ledger could be cleared and God could place the righteousness of Christ to our account. Thanks be to God. That's what it means to be justified, declared righteous. So that if you belong to Jesus, if you believe in him then, he sees you not through your sin, though you have it, and so do I, but he sees you through the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Here's your take-home truth. Our relationship with God is completely dependent on His grace. Let's bow together. Our Father, we thank You again for gathering us, allowing us to have Your book open before us. And We thank You, Lord, for what it says, and that what it says is real, that this good news, this gospel, that provides us a righteousness that we could never achieve, the perfect righteousness that's necessary to have a relationship with you, to stand before you, to enjoy eternity with you, that this good news gospel provides that in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Father, we profoundly thank you. And I pray that there are some here right now as we pray whose hearts you have opened for them to see their need of a righteousness from outside of themselves, and that they are believing who Jesus is and what he has done and asking for his righteousness to be applied to them, the forgiveness that only his blood can give to cover their sin. And then, Lord, they, like we, all of us, need to in turn give our lives to you in gratitude, not in order to have a relationship with you, not in order to go to heaven, but because you have graciously given us this relationship and graciously promised heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Now, we're going to stand in just a moment for our closing song, but we have a couple of folks who are going to join our church. So if you guys will come on up. It's nice to be getting back into the habit of having people join the church. It's been a while because of COVID and we weren't together. And so we kind of have a pipeline of people that we'll be going through. I've got a bunch of folks who are taking the newcomers orientation And if you weren't able to be here for the first session of that last week, I encourage you to take it uh, today, right out the back door across the hall. But this is Keith and Denise Bass. Keith and Denise started attending our church faithfully before COVID hit, months before that. And had actually applied to join the church, and then we weren't meeting anymore. And so they've been in the pipeline for a very long time. Thanks for you guys' patience. And I think you heard about us. I know one way you heard about us was through BSF, right? because Keith was taking uh, Bible study fellowship here on Tuesday nights, and so he started attending, and they've been attending for about a couple years now. Yes. Yeah, good. Well, we're very delighted that the Lord brought you guys to us, and we've been able to read their testimony on their membership application. We're able to meet with them. We're recommending Keith and Denise for membership. So all in favor of receiving them into membership, signify by saying Amen. 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 Any opposed? You know, I took them both at the same time. You might want one, not the other. So if there's any kind of separation there, just let me know maybe a little bit later and we'll take care of that. All right? Okay. Let's stand now for our closing song. Thank you guys Thank you. very much. <clears throat>
2: To your name alone be all the glory, the glory.
1: That concludes our first service. Our second hour begins at eleven fifteen. In the meantime, we've got cafe, we have cafe community with coffee, bagels, snacks, and a time of fellowship, so use it well. And don't forget to welcome our new members. We'll see you in just a little bit, eleven fifteen.